Please turn with me to James chapter 5. James chapter 5, and we'll be looking at verse number 7. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient. Please bow with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for another opportunity to worship you together here this evening, and we do ask that you would bless our time together, that you would grant us the Spirit's help to understand your word. Father, we ask that we would all be changed through your word, encourage us, equip us, build us up. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So last time we were in James a couple of weeks ago, We saw in the the first six verses of chapter 5 that James condemned wicked rich men who were using their resources to oppress the poor. And as I said last time, James is not condemning wealth and and he's not condemning the the rich in general, but but rich men who who are accumulating wealth through unjust means, men who are using their wealth for evil and refusing to be charitable. We saw that these men were withholding wages that were earned from their workers, refusing to pay them what they were owed, and and then using the court's system against them, buying justice. So in the first six verses, James addresses wicked rich men who, who are oppressing the poor, righteous, and then in our text today, he transitions to telling those believers how to respond to being oppressed in this way. Here, here's what these rich men, these wicked rich men are doing. Now how is the poor, helpless Christian to respond? This is a very important topic. I'm going to spend an unusual amount of time introducing this topic to us because it is important for us as Christians to understand how to suffer well. And I think that there are two ditches we often can fall into. One of the ditches is this this pessimism which says that life is nothing but but suffering and that's all we should ever expect and that's all we work for. But, But the other is this Christianity which denies that suffering is a thing. So let us look at this first ditch. And I'm going to call this the pessimistic, pietistic view which says that as Christians, we should expect nothing but injustice and wrongdoing. We should expect to be treated unjustly. Therefore, we should not attempt to establish justice. This person often has a martyr 
complex. I just want to be martyred. I don't care about what's going on. I just want to give up my life. Woe is me. And such a view has, has negative consequences. The, the Christian who believes that, that we are not supposed to receive justice in this world because we are Christians does not work towards establishing justice. And here's what the conversation with this person often looks like. There's a lot of injustice happening around us. Christians should get more involved in establishing biblical justice. And what is the response? Listen, we don't need to be focusing on justice in this world. We are simply about the gospel. There will always be injustice until Christ returns. We're not here to create some type of Christian utopia. So let's just suffer and don't worry about it. And what this view inadvertently teaches is that God is not concerned about injustice in our society. Now, I am not teaching a social gospel. You know me better than that. I say that Jesus came to do what? To, to save sinners from the wrath of God. That, that's the good news of the gospel, but that is not the extent of the gospel. If, if Jesus is in fact Lord, then it needs to be reflected in our view of justice. When injustice is done in society, does God simply have neutral feelings about that? And here's the problem again with, with, with this pessimistic, pietistic person who says, listen, we're Christians, we expect injustice, it doesn't matter, we don't care. Does that reflect God's attitude towards Injustice. What did we see a couple of weeks ago in verse 4 of this chapter? What did James say? Behold the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the heirs of the Lord of hosts. James said God was going to slaughter these men like fattened calves. Why? Because of their injustice. They held back wages that were earned. Well, why is God concerned about this? Isn't this a civil matter? Isn't this an issue outside of the church? Why is God going to punish them for this? Because he is concerned about justice in our society. That the Christian who is indifferent to injustice is not actually reflecting the heart and mind of God. So when we say things such as we don't, we don't need to care about injustice because Christ said we will always suffer, we we're actually displaying an apathy towards justice that is not shared by the Lord Himself. So the person who falls into this ditch not only inadvertently teaches that, that God is not concerned about justice, but he actually makes things worse by his apathy, and then he blames God for it. How common is this mindset? Christian, don't you get involved in politics. Christian, stop trying to make things better in your culture. That's not what we are here for. And then what happens? 
As Christians withdraw from, from engaging in culture, what happens? The culture gets worse. And then what do those Christians say? See, I told you things will always get worse. Perhaps the reason is because you told Christians to stop being an influence. So the righteous standards that they represent have, have withdrew from society. Listen, we need, we need to avoid this ditch. Woe is us. We will, we will never receive justice in this bad world, so let's just stop trying. Let's just get rid of our rights and ask for more persecution. And it's almost as though they say it's more holy to be persecuted than to seek justice. Was this Paul's mentality? Listen, Paul did not care for persecution. He, he was willing to, to accept it. But he didn't ask for it. Acts 22, Paul had been arrested and, and is making a defense of his teaching. And of course, the Jews don't like it. So we read that up to this word, they listened to him. Then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging to find out why they were shouting against him like this. That's a weird way to question someone. By whipping them. What happens next? When they stretch out, when they stretch Paul out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, Is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? And when the centurion heard this, he, he went to the tribune and said to him, What are you about to do? For this man is a Roman citizen. So the tribune came and said to him, tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And he said, yes. The tribune answered, I, I bought this citizenship for a large sum. Paul says, I'm even better. I was born a citizen. What did Paul do there? What you are about to do is against the law. It's injustice. And I'm holding you to the law. Paul does not have a martyr complex. He says, I'm going to avoid this flogging if at all possible. I don't think there's anything inherently holy about getting whipped. But also, consider this. What is injustice? It's sin. So, so who wants injustice to take place? Imagine, if you actually somehow liked injustice for some reason because it made you feel more holy and righteous to suffer, what you're saying is that I, I want sin to reign in society. Paul did not share that. What about Acts 23? Paul is speaking to the council. And he says, men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. And what happens? The high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. And what is Paul's response? God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. For you sit to judge me according to the law, and do you command me to be struck contrary to the law? You are a hypocrite, and that's injustice. 
Now we should know what happened next, that, that those who stood by said, do you revile God's high priest? Then Paul said, I, do, I did not know, brethren, that he was the high priest, for it is written, you, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. But, but Paul did not retract his statement. You, you commanded me to be stricken contrary to the law, and yet you're judging me by the law. That's hypocrisy. That's injustice. By the way, Paul is following Christ's example. John chapter 18 the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. And Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. And when he said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? And what is Jesus' response? If what I had said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? He's pointing out, this is wrong. Also, what did Paul do when the Jews wanted to ambush him? They wanted to kill him. Acts chapter 25, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood about and laid many serious complaints against Paul, which they could not prove. And while he answered for himself, neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar, have I offended in anything at all. He says, I am innocent completely. I've broken no law. But he senses something. Festus is not going to be just. Festus, wanting to do the Jews a favor, answered Paul and said, Are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and there be judged before me concerning these things? Paul understands this is a trap. The Jews are not going to administer justice. They're going to ambush him on the way. What does he do? Does he submit to this? No, he doesn't. So Paul said, I stand at Caesar's judgment seat where I ought to be judged. To the Jews, I have done no wrong, as you very well know. For if I'm an offender or have committed anything deserving of death, I do not object to dying. Listen to this. But if there is nothing in these things of which these men accuse me, no one can deliver me to them. I appeal to Caesar. Can you imagine the governor being told that? If I'm innocent, you can't touch me. I appeal to Caesar, now take me to him. This is essentially what Paul did. What you are doing as the governor is against the law. You want me to, to go to them, and this is an ambush. This is injustice. Paul doesn't think that's holy. To just submit to that injustice? He says, no, there's a law above you, Festus. Caesar is above you, governor. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to say that the only way that you can hand me over is if you are willing to do it against the law. He challenges Festus openly. To make it known that he is holding him to Roman law. Nobody can legally hand him over to the Jews. And if Festus does this, it is against 
the law. It is injustice. He is holding them to justice. And listen, dear friends, Paul was willing to suffer injustice. But he did not desire it to happen. He actually tried to prevent it. Again, why would you want to prevent injustice? Because injustice is wrong, which means it is sin. Paul doesn't want injustice to take place. So we see in all of these different places, he, he's actually trying to, to get them to hold to the righteous standard, to hold to the law. But if we have this Christianity which says we just need to be martyrs, we need to not worry about what's happening here and now. We don't stand before the governor and, says, and say, what you're doing is going against the Constitution. And the only way you can make me do this is if you're willing to break the law. But there's another ditch to be aware of. And this is the view of Christianity which has no place for suffering wrongdoing. This is obviously an issue when we, when we think of the, the health, wealth, and, and prosperity gospel. They have no theology of suffering. If, if you are suffering in their view, it's because there's something wrong with your faith. But that's just false. But I think that others can, can also fall into this ditch as well, especially here in America. We really don't know what it's like to suffer injustice very much. Some of us do. Some of us have, have suffered great injustice, but, but not to the extent of many others. I can remember one of my Macedonian friends, I, I was telling him about this, this gas station in Detroit that got in trouble for watering down their gas to make more money. And he says, what's the big deal? That's what every gas station does at home. It's just ingrained, injustice is grained, ingrained in their culture. But we have enough of a semblance of godliness here that, that we do, in large part, see a lot more justice than, than, than any other nation. But here's what we have to be aware of. Especially with, with those of us who, who, who are really optimistic. And, and I am very optimistic. Listen, I, I believe firmly that, that, that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. I believe that the gospel changes hearts, homes, and communities, and, and even nations. And, and we've actually seen this happen throughout history. And I believe that the kingdom is growing and expanding as Christ said it would in, in, the, in the parable of the mustard seed. And I believe that, that Christ is building his church and, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But, but in all of this optimism, it's very easy for me to forget that injustice may be my lot. And here's the problem. If I don't have a theology of suffering, then what happens when we suffer? We don't respond to it, to it biblically. I'm excited for, 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 for what God can do in Holland. But what if his lot is for us to be persecuted? The kingdom of God expanding and Christians suffering injustice are not contradictions. Do we realize that, that the kingdom of God was expanding the Great Commission was being fulfilled while Christians were being fed to lions and burned at 
the stake. It's not a contradiction. And dear friends, I think that we should be optimistic. I think that Scripture causes us to be optimistic with the Gospel. But we had better have a theology of suffering, wrongdoing, and injustice. Otherwise, we, we will not respond appropriately. So this is why this text before us is so important. We need to understand how to, how to patiently endure wrong. And I think Paul is a great example to us, as I've just mentioned. A man who was willing to suffer the greatest of injustices. But a man who still tried to establish justice even in the process. So James opens this section with a, with a call to patience. And again, I want you to put yourself into the shoes of these believers that James is addressing. Perhaps some of these are, are the ones who worked for the rich, but were robbed of their wages. Again, something that we're not very familiar with here. In America, we have lawyer signs all over the place. Licking their chops for a case like that. Because they're going to get rich off of it. But again, I remember talking to my Macedonian friend, and, and, and he said that was an issue in his country. What, they, what would they do? You would, you would work for them for two weeks, and they would shut down their business. No paycheck. The norm. We can't even comprehend that happening to us in our society. And by the way, I don't despise that. I'm, I thank God for that. But put yourself in these men's shoes. They're not driving a combine. They're doing back-breaking work, reaping in the field. And they work hard to provide for their family. And they, they feel good. They finished a, a good hard day's work. And they're sweating. And they're tired. And they're ready to be paid to feed their family. And the boss says, no, I'm not paying you. Take me to court. Can you imagine that? And you go to court, and they use their wealth and their influence against you. You have a court-appointed attorney, and they have Jeffrey Figer. What do you do? And in fact, he says you, you, you murder them. Perhaps they even get false accusations against you because they have justice paid for with their money. The entire system is rigged against you. How do you respond to such injustice? I mean, can you imagine the suffering there? You put in an entire day work and you still can't feed your family. You don't know where they're going to get food from. James has several things to, to say about how we respond to this. We're going to look at his first point today. And his first point is that we need to patiently anticipate the Lord's return. Verse 7. Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. Now the Greek word for patience comes from two Greek words. The word long and the word anger. We could say today long-tempered. This word also seems to indicate... Suffering by a person. Having to be patient with a person. 
One source defines this as to be even-tempered while enduring trying circumstances. So in context, James is most likely calling those suffering injustice at the hands of the rich and powerful wicked men to bear that injustice with patience. I mean, we would want to rage, right? I mean, today, I'm, I'm going to get my gun. You're going to pay me. He says, bear it patiently. And this seems like a, a tall order. Men are working in the fields, and, and the boss does not pay them. And, and they are to be patient, to be even-tempered. How do you be even-tempered in a situation like that? No, I'm going to blow the roof. And justice is hard to bear. And the more we care about justice, the harder it is to, to experience injustice. Think about this. David says, I shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. So, so for the true Christian, not, not only does it grieve you that, that you've been cheated, you've been robbed, but it should grieve you that, that God is being sinned, about, sinned against. There's two things to, to, to grieve us here, to, to make us upset about. Now notice what James says. He says, be long-tempered, even-tempered, until the coming of the Lord. What does this mean? Well, the coming of the Lord most likely refers to the return of Christ. And what is the significance of this? The return of Christ is the end of suffering, is what he's saying. In other words, I'm not asking you to be patient forever. I'm asking you to be patient for a time. James is saying, patiently endure injustice, suffering, and persecution, knowing that Christ will return. So the question is, how does the anticipation of the return of Christ help us patiently suffer injustice and wrong? Two ways. Number one, our suffering will come to an end. Listen, it is much easier to endure pain when you know that there is an end in sight. If you're running a race or lifting weights, you know you only have one more rep. How much easier it is it to push through that burning? It's almost done. It's almost over. The injustice that James described would be difficult to endure, but James is telling his readers that one day all injustice will cease. It won't be like this always. And dear friends, what is a, a few short years of suffering compared to an eternity of glory? What does Paul say in 2 Corinthians 4? For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Matthew Henry says, the, the apostle and his fellow sufferers saw their afflictions working towards heaven and that they would end at last. They, they did, as it were, put, put the heavenly glory in one scale and their earthly suffering in the other. In the other. And pondering things in their thoughts, they found afflictions to be light and the glory of heaven to be far more exceeding weight. 
Dear friends, if you sit there and look at your suffering, it seems heavy. But put it in the scale with the weight of glory. And the scale goes down. Our affliction is momentary. Glory, he says, is eternal. Our affliction is light compared to the weight of glory, which is beyond all comparison. And our affliction is actually preparing us for an eternal weight of glory. Our afflictions prepare us for glory, he says. How do we patiently endure suffering? How do we patiently endure injustice? By remembering that suffering is momentary and light and prepares us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. That's the first way in which the anticipation of the return of Christ helps us patiently suffer wrong. Listen, it will come to an end. It doesn't matter how painful it is right now. We can bear it understanding what awaits us. But secondly, when Christ returns, justice will be administered. And we covered this a bit last time, that the Christian can rest assured that even if justice does not take place here in this life, in the judgment, no justice will go unpunished. No injustice. Do you remember what James says about these wicked, rich men in the first six verses? How he calls them to, to weep and mourn and howl over the miseries that was coming upon them. And he tells them that their gold is going to be evidence against them and will eat their flesh like fire. The, the fires of hell will consume their flesh, he says. He tells them you have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. They were like fattened calves on the way to the slaughterhouse of God's justice. The, these wicked men thought they got away free because their wealth could buy the justice system in this life. But it can't buy justice in eternity. So we can bear injustice and suffer patiently knowing that Christ will return and administer true justice. It's going to happen. And then James gives us an example to follow of, 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 of patient waiting. He says, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. This is an example to us. The farmer has to wait patiently for his crops. And it takes patience. He says the early and the latter rain, that the rain in the, in the late fall and the, in the, in the, in the rain in the spring. And there are several things we should draw from this example. Number one, the, the Lord's return is worth the wait. You see, many would argue that, that the return of Christ is no comfort to us in our suffering because it could be long into the future. In fact, we are almost 2,000 years after James wrote this letter and Christ has not yet returned. How is this a comfort? James says, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth. Crops are precious to the farmer because they sustain him. 
They are his food and his source of income. Listen, things that are precious are precious because they have worth and and value. Because his crops are precious, he is willing to wait patiently for them. Because his crops are precious, listen, he lets them sit in the ground. He doesn't go and dig them up to see if they're growing. He doesn't want to mess them up. He doesn't want to step on them. He doesn't want to do anything hastily. He wants to wait because it is worth it. They are precious. If something is of great value to us, we are willing to wait for it. The return of Christ, the the, the judgment, the vindication of the righteous is something that is of great value to the Christian. That that is when all justice disappears. That that is when we receive the fullness of our eternal inheritance. The, The return of Christ is of tremendous value to us. The end of pain, the end of suffering. When we receive the fullness of our inheritance. Dear friends, is something of such great value not worth the wait? Therefore, he says in verse 8, you also be patient. But secondly, we must wait on God. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. Who controls the rain? God does. The farmer plants. He does everything in his power. He does everything that he can. He works, but he has to wait on the sovereign hand of God to provide rain. He's 100% dependent on God to provide the rain needed to grow his precious fruit. And so it is with waiting patiently for the Lord's return. We desire for all injustice to be served right here and now. We desire for all persecution and suffering to end right here and right now. But we are waiting for something that is completely out of our control. But here's the beauty of this. The fact that this is out of our control is a good thing. Why? Because it is in control, the control of a faithful, sovereign God. Notice how James mentions waiting for the early and latter rains. We, we see this ter- type of terminology throughout Scripture. For example, in Joel chapter 2, We read, be glad, O children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given the early rain of your vindication. He has poured down for you abundant rain, the early and latter rain, as before. A testimony of God's faithfulness. Listen to what Douglas Moo says. Every reference to early and latter rains in the Old Testament occurs in a context affirming the faithfulness of the Lord. James readers, being biblically literate, would have detected in the language of this verse an echo of this broader biblical theme and been thereby given a further reinforcement of the confidence they could place in the coming of the Lord to judge their enemies and deliver them. Waiting on God, dependence on God, is good. Because this dependence is upon a God who is faithful. 
It's out of our control, but it's in, it's in the control of a faithful God. Yes, we, we wait on God. The, the timing of the return of Christ is out of our control, but we can be sure that it will happen because God is faithful and will vindicate his people and will punish all sin. Because it isn't happening right now is no indication of what will happen. As the people cried out in Malachi, where is the God of justice? Where is he? He doesn't exist. He said, as, as God faithfully provided the early and the later rain, just wait, dear friends, just wait. God will vindicate. To know that all that is in the hands of a faithful God should, should help us patiently endure suffering at the hands of others. Listen, you might be getting your way right now. You might can buy justice right now, but I guarantee you, friend, that is going to come to an end. Let us close with two final thoughts. Number one, waiting patiently on God means that we don't take injustice into our own hands. Paul says in Romans, repay no one evil for evil. This is a man who suffered evil. He says in, in, in chapter 12, verse 19 of Romans, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. John Gill said that vengeance solely belongs to God the lawgiver, whose law is broken and against whom sin is committed, and there is reason to believe he will repay it. In his own time, he will avenge his elect, which cry unto him day and night, and those and who therefore should never once think of avenging themselves, but leave it with their God to whom it belongs. Now, does this mean that we don't try to get justice? No, that's not what this means. We seek justice with the magistrate. We seek to, to have people held accountable. We, we seek laws that are just. And we call out to the magistrate to, to uphold these, these just laws, but we do not take vengeance into our own hands. This is what the apostle is saying. And this, dear friends, is a part of waiting on God. Many of us don't want to wait on God. We're, we're hastily, like, like Saul. I need to make my sacrifice now. Now's the time. Wait on God. And secondly, as we know with absolute confidence that God will avenge all injustice, this is a sobering call to faith in, in Christ and repentance from sin. Because if you don't know Christ, what does this say to you? When he comes back to administer justice, he's going to administer justice against you. Dear friends, we are all guilty of injustice. We have all wronged others and have sinned against God. Justice demands that, that, that all injustice be punished. And as sure as God is faithful to punish the wicked, all wicked men will be punished. 
And the only escape of, of this divine justice is for Christ to bear our sins, to bear our injustices. And the only way to receive this forgiveness is for us to, to trust in Christ for salvation and to repent of our sins. And if you refuse to, to turn to Christ, God will one day be faithful in punishing you. But if we have placed our faith in Christ, we are clear from all guilt, from all injustice we have committed. The righteousness of Christ clothes us. And here's the beauty of God's justice. Once we are clothed with the righteousness of Christ, justice demands that we be treated as righteous. Because God will not reject the righteousness of his own son. So dear friends, we, we must be patient when we are wronged. One day the Lord will return and vindicate you and set you free from suffering forevermore. This should motivate us to, to live in such a way that even when we suffer the greatest of injustices, it doesn't shake us, it doesn't move us. We can endure it patiently and we can fight for righteousness. But we can do so with patience in a way that the unbeliever with no hope is unable to do. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you are a God of justice. Father, we do thank you that we live in a nation that has some semblance of justice. But we also know that there's many injustices that take place on a daily basis. And we ask, Father, that you would help us to be Christians who, who see it as a good thing to, to establish just laws and to fight for, for righteousness in our society. Father, as we make disciples and teach them to obey all that you command, Help us to teach them obey, to obey you in, in establishing righteousness. And we do ask, Lord, that you would help us to know how to suffer well. Father, as we suffer injustice, may others look at us and say there is something different about them. For they can endure so much with, with patience. It may be used to point others to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.